Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. And guess what? We've got some news for you. Buck is going to come in. We're going to talk about Owen Wright. Of course, he just surfed his last heat ever at Bells, but we also have a really deep profile on him by none other than Jed Smith. Jed's going to come on quickly to talk about Owen and basically his remarkable legacy in surfing. We're also going to talk about who needs what to make the cut. We did a quasi-mathematical analysis of the tour and figured out what everybody needs at Margie's if they want to make it to L'Amour, which seems like something that not many people would really want, but it turns out a lot of them do. We also have best surfing I've ever seen. That is with Duncan McFarlane. It's a session that I would imagine a lot of you have seen, but also it came out behind a paywall, so maybe not. This might be a first look for some of you. We also have a story about how HB is about to change a kid's life um we'll we'll explain and last but not least a stab edit of the year entry from lucas godfrey just dropped and on top of the surfing the interview was also incredibly entertaining so we're going to talk about that as well and of course we have a surf sin this one like last week is kelly slater related um kelly slater hasn't dropped his penance yet on this one but he's basically the subject of it so we hope that he gets involved but if not it's still a really funny story so with that, let's drop in. Mikey, 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 Mike, me, Mikey. Here we are. It's another week. We've been blessed with another week of life on this planet. And I have an announcement to make, a formal press release. Okay, hit us. I didn't think it was possible, but I found an appropriate use for a mid-length. Okay. Yeah. Is it uh, an oversized charcuterie board? Ooh, that would kind of work, actually. I feel like they're not too rockered out, a lot of them. That's a good call, but no, you can combine it into that after. But big, shitty, stupid, windy days where if you take a shortboard out, it's so much work paddling that you just hate your life the entire time. You like Literally, you're exhausting so much energy. You catch like three shit waves. A little bit more foam under your feet, under your chest, more importantly, you can get to where you want to be more quickly. And yeah, when you're on the wave, who cares? It's still shit. It's 30 miles per hour on shore. Who cares? But it helps you get to that point on the 30 mile per hour on shore, big windy days. That's, I haven't even, I don't have a mid length. I just was using a six, eight, like step up that I started doing with like small fins and you could kind of turn it. And I was like, this is actually way nicer than taking a five eleven out here. Wow. You're your perspective has shifted. It, it, it's almost like you won $100 on Aki and you're like a new person. Oh, I mean, look, if you made money on Aki in the year 2023, life is good. All right? <laughs> it's just that simple. Yeah, well, congratulations and also fuck you. But also, thank God BetOnline.ag has guardrails for idiots like myself who wanted to bet $1,000 on Tom Curran when Aki can, can apparently get eights on one turn. So, um, yeah, that worked out well as well as it could have for me. Well, at Bell's, you could get AIDS for anything. You get AIDS for just showing up, it looked like. That's true. That's true. There's been a little bit of judging discrepancy. We may have some stories coming on that soon. But I wanted to give you a little stat for my gambling at Bell's. I went back. I looked at every day. I did the math. I added up all the bets. I bet $3,540 across who even knows how many heats and who many, how many event winners and whatnot. After all that money spent, not to mention all of the time and emotional effort that went into all of this, I came out of the event $2 in the black. Wow. That is so funny. Just two. Just 
how crazy is that? $3,540 turns into... I mean, obviously, some people lose money when they bet, but it almost feels more offensive to make $2 than to just lose a whole shit ton. It is. It's like if you get a scratch-off ticket and it's you break even it's like you pay five bucks and then you win five bucks it's like fuck you like at least let me get mad at my loss um let me feel something you know and exactly you know i totally agree that it's hilarious to spend three thousand win two nice well hey wa isn't too far off if you start spending you can get 200 bucks if you uh just up those ratios you get to 20 pretty quickly um just bet (laughs) Entire mortgages worth of money and uh, win 20. You're on your way to financial freedom. That's it. All right, let's get into the news. No world title, no worries. This is, I don't even know what you call it, an Owen Wright profile, kind of just an Owen Wright ode maybe, an ode to Owen. And who better to give an ode to Owen Wright than Ain't That Swell and Stab's Finest Jed Smith. Let's hear from Jed who wrote this story. Jed Smith here, and my latest contribution to Stab Premium features the great Owen Wright, the big O, all six foot three of him, uh, and just an article basically exploring why his legacy will endure with the all-time greats, despite the fact he never won that world title that so many predicted of him. Obviously, growing up in Australia... Um, I'm a couple of years older than Owen, but you know, I think the whole country watched him come through winning a uh, World Junior Championship in Brazil and basically uh, just an absolute wizard across all conditions. He was touted as the heir to Mick Fanning and uh, uh, considered a certainty to win a world title. That he never did could cause some to believe that he never fulfilled his potential, but you know, reading between the lines of his career, when you really look at it, 2015 was his best chance at winning a world title. Uh, he had the craziest year. I mean, you remember double perfect heats in Fiji that year, uh, you know, uh, a, a record that hasn't been broken and may never be broken. Uh, he got that 10 at the box. Remember that thing? That thing was fucked up. Are you kidding me? Uh, and it was on his first ever surf at the Wave. Unbelievable. Um, like, for sure, uh, one of the... I actually can't remember a bigger, heavier Wave ever being ridden at the box to this day. Uh, that thing, like, just was so big, it ended up kind of breaking out into the channel almost. Uh, almost, like, off the back of the reef. The wave can't hold any bigger than that. Anyway, getting lost in the absolute madness of what that man has done. And, yeah, obviously, um, that year came into Pipeline, ranked, uh, I think it was fifth in the world, very much in contention for a world title at Pipe. The absolute standout in the lead-up sessions, uh, by all accounts, he was just the man out there, out of everyone on tour. And, uh... Sadly, as we all know, Owen's blessing proved to be his curse. His love of big, heavy waves ended up injuring him so badly, uh, he almost never recovered consciousness. He, he nearly died. Um, you know, Bleeding on the brain, a severe injury suffered after wearing a bunch of waves on the head at pipe. Um, and in this story, I revisit all that. I was the guy who broke the story about Owen's injury, actually. Um, although at that time, we didn't know the, the severity of it. I, I was managed to get Wilco on the phone, his best mate. 
and uh, you know, long time sparring partner and Rip Curl teammate. Um, and yeah, so we just kind of delve into uh, the reasons why he never won a world title, but also why not winning a world title does not detract from his legacy. Because in my opinion, greatness is not about where you finish, it's about where you started. And I don't think anyone has plumed the depths of despair more than Owen Wright in the history of surfing. I mean, going from not being able to walk and talk and tie your own shoelaces to winning your first event back at Snapper with a thousand and one different backhand snaps all in the space of two years. Uh, 2015 was the injury, 2017 was the comeback. And then from there, you know, going on to suffer more head injuries, condition deteriorate, and uh, just some of the performances he put together, Chopes, uh, winning the bronze at the Olympics for Australia, Australia's only medal at the Olympics. I mean, for Australian surf fans, this guy is Herculean in what he achieved. Um, coming back from the depths of that brain injury, there's never been a comeback like it in sport, as far as I'm aware. Forget about surfing. Um, so, I mean, if you want lessons in resilience, in grit, in, uh, you know, keeping the faith at all costs, I think we do well to pay as much attention to Owen's story as we can. And, uh, this piece of mine reflects on all of his achievements across his career and, you know, kind of frames it up in its appropriate context. Cause yeah, sure. He didn't get the, the fanciest bit of silverware you can get. But, man, he achieved a lot when you really think about it. Wow. Owen Wright, huh? It's, I think it's so cool that he got to serve again at Bells, but at the same time horrifies me because, like, what about people that aren't sponsored by something that conveniently lets them get that last lap? It's like, that's going to happen. I mean, what? so many questions here, and we're going to get into a lot of this, you know, what happens when somebody misses the cut mid-year. But um, Owen Wright's career, wow. Wow. What was your favorite Owen Wright moment, Mikey? I think for me, oh man, that's actually really hard. I mean, sentimentally, you want to say snapper. Performance-wise, I know that he got the two perfect heats in cloud break, but to me, what he did at Chopes was more impressive, like just standing in those giant tubes just so effortlessly. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Chopes. I think those, those images kind of like tell a thousand stories. So I'm going to go with that, even though obviously Snapper was like, holy shit, one of the greatest comeback stories in all of surfing. But yeah, for me, it's Chopes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got to go cloud break. I respect both of those for, I think they meant more and this is very selfish of me, but cloud break, because I remember, I think it's a good time zone to watch from the U S from California. And I remember it's just one of those moments, like I think it always means more when you're like surrounded by friends and stuff. And I remember I was at a bar that was like playing it when all that was happening. It was like the exact moment of why you watch surfing. It's like great waves, great mm -hmm. surfing, surprise. You're yelling, you're surrounded by people. It was like the fucking coolest. Like when I think of Owen, I'll always think of that, but it's so subjective because I just happen to be in that. I'm sure if I was at home, it still would have meant a lot, but um, yeah, this is a great read by Jed. And Owen, thank you. Thank you for inspiring all of us, and thank you for being Goofy Foot. Who needs what to make the cut? Mikey, you got your math hat on here. You got the calculator out. What'd you find? Uh, nobody in the comments has called me out yet, which is really odd for a story where any math is involved. So Strange, I think yeah. Either, I don't like that. Yeah, we either did something really right or really wrong this time. But what we basically did is... 
we tried to figure out based on the current standings and also taking last year's numbers into consideration where the cut line is going to fall this year and with that information figuring out what each surfer on the CT men's and women's needs to make it above that projected cut line. So we basically gave everybody a sort of like risky number, which is like, if you get this result, you may make the cut if X, Y, and Z happens and a safe number, which is pretty much guaranteed you're going to make the cut if you get this result at Margaret River. So I don't know, again, if it's going to pan out exactly how we have it, but I'm pretty confident in the rough numbers, if that makes sense. The most, one of the most jarring things I think is in there is you just read it and it confronts you right away. Just this idea of a tour without Jadson. I don't, I didn't think that was a legal possibility. I mean, it can't, I guess he can't go more than six months. So he could just get back and be heels up. He could get it on the CS and get back. But like you need him in a WSL competition in some form to maintain balance on this planet. I feel um that's true that's true other than that other than that it's its own story essentially but kelly kelly he needs a big result away that hasn't been kind to him in the past really get it well not a big result he i mean he only needs like he could need at minimum a ninth so that's basically winning one heat because you can get second in either the first round to make it to the third round or the second round to make it to the third round and then all you have to do is win one heat against one person to get a ninth so I would hope Kelly's able to do that. I know, obviously, he's older. Margaret River's not his favorite wave. There's a lot of talent on tour. But one heat seems doable when his career's on the line. Um, a fifth would be his safe point, which is winning two heats, ultimately. So either way, I hope he can pull it off. But based on our conversation with Jesse Miley Dyer a few weeks ago, it also seems more than likely that if he were not to make the cut, that they would basically give him a wild card onto the back half of the year. You also have to think, like, the wave pool, that's literally his wave. I'm sure he'd get a wild card there. Chopes is sponsored by his company. Like, I don't know. It just It seems like Kelly's going to be there no matter what. But, of course, we want him to stay on the, the natural way, so to speak. Um, but another little interesting thing is that for the men, anybody can make the cut. Anybody that win the, wins this event is guaranteed a spot above the cut line. So that's from anyone all the way at the bottom, like Zeke Lau. Um, we also have Kalohan Dino. He's a really kind of surprise, I guess you could say, being this far down. He's tied 30th right now. He needs a minimum fifth, or a safe bet would be a third for him. So the list goes on. You can see the entire rundown on the site. I'm not going to break it all down for you here, but if you want to know what people need to make the cut in Margaret River, it's all there for you. Mm, mm. Yeah, we've been hearing some interesting things about Kalohe. I think we'll have an interview coming soon. But basically, if he doesn't make it, it sounds like he's got a great mindset. You know, it's, I think there's two ways this could happen. And it's like last year we saw like the exact worst thing happen. There's a massive petition. Like now it's like this year we're hearing that there's some people that are on the other side of it, including Kaloya, that are like at peace with it and probably going to do some cool stuff. So keep an eye on that one. We'll have more information as WA comes on. And then other than that, let's just call out the fact. Let's just say it out loud. Just the two people leading their ratings right now both didn't make the cut last year. That's just funny. I'm not even going to have like a hard stance on it, like using it to be like, no cut should exist. But like, it's just funny. That's my stance is that's funny. That's all. And it also hopefully gives some hope to anybody that's not going to make the cut after Margaret River this year. They see, okay, well, they've done it. I, why can't I? Yeah, exactly. Don't You got it, Jaddy. The best surfing I've ever seen with Duncan McFarlane. 
Hard act to follow that Tom Jennings, but Dunk did a great job. One thing I want to call out here is I feel like with this series, we run the risk of being quite nostalgic. I mean, you're asking some of the best surfing they've ever seen. A lot of times, I think maybe, just like I said with Owen's thing before, it's like other moments factor into that. And like if something happened at a certain age for you, like there's so many things that could probably influence, I think, somebody's answer to that question. And so I was happy to see that Duncan's was in 2020. That said, there's still kind of something nostalgic about it because it's like Creed on a big board. I was going to say, it looks like it could have been filmed in 1997. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, it's funny because it was like, oh, well, 2020, that was three years ago. And then you're like, oh, but they're riding like six yeah. nines and doing turns. But yeah, let's just say that a Finn never feared getting above the lip in this yeah, section. Yeah, there is none of that. There is none of that. And it was, it was very, it's a certain type of taste in surfing. Um, but if you're the type that like, doesn't like people doing airs, like if you're a critic of like, oh, people just go and they do a hop, whether it's the Eddie Rothman wing bang on a bang, wing dang on a, what is it? The Eddie Rothman quote's great. Um, if you're one of those people that just like wants to see power surfing in good waves, this is, this is exactly that. Um, I loved it. This it's mentioned in this part. The footage went to Fun Boy's second Summer of Love, which I had seen, and fuck it. Like, you get to hear a little taste of it, but they used Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart for the soundtrack, and it is paired up with that surfing and those waves. It is just so fucking good. It's so good. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I really appreciated hearing the backstory behind this and also hearing it from a photographer's standpoint as opposed to a videographer because you get to sort of learn more things about that specific trade and art. But there's something about that original section that I don't think we can even do justice to. And of course, we could never even publish that original section because to get the rights to that sort of music would be the most exorbitant cost of all time. But luckily when you're Australian and you have a production company that's based around called fun boys and you make silly yeah. surf videos, you can get away <laughs> with using that. And it's seriously like when you watch that original section, I would almost recommend watching the best surfing I've ever seen first as like the sort of appetizer and then go watch mm. the full section with the song. And it just like all comes together. It's such a beautiful moment in surfing. Oh, it is so good. It is, um, and I mean, that that's a song that you've probably heard a ton, but you'd never think about it with surfing, mm. and then you just see it in this, like, peak moment of these guys getting really good waves. It's just like, it works. Yeah. It works. So, so, shout out to Harry Triglone, because he is the filmmaker behind that, and he actually provided all of the footage that accompanies Duncan McFarlane's Best Surfing I've Ever Seen. It was a bit of a collab between them, really. It was. And so go watch that. Go watch Fun Boy's Second Summer of Love. And let's hear from Dunk. Let's get his voice on here. I'm Duncan McFarlane. I'm a surf photographer from Sawtell. And I've been shooting photos for about, probably about 12, 12, 13 years now. I've been to everywhere there's waves, basically. I've seen heaps of good surfing, heaps of good waves. We went to Nias with Dylan Longbottom and Wade and Laurie. Um, and that was like massive Nias. It was so cool. And, Really crazy airs, like the recent Billabong boat trip we went on, like Aton and Creed were doing these crazy airs. But, uh, but I think the best surfing that I've ever seen was um, with Dave Rastovich, Creed McTaggart and uh, Wade Goodall at this point in 
New South Wales just um, in the start of the pandemic. It was just perfect. Like the conditions were six foot offshore, completely uncrowded. On top of that, the surfing was like unbelievable, just like high lines, you know, stand tall tubes. And, and yeah, not only did I have like three of my best mates, you know, surfing in the water and pumping waves, but I was standing next to and shooting with Harry Trigline, who, um, who videoed the session with me. But he, me and Harry like went to school together. We'd start, we went through all of high school together and we grew up shooting surfing and like learning how to shoot like through high school like he would do video and I'd do photos but yeah Harry, Harry was filming and he used all the footage for Fun Boys Entertainment Systems is his like video kind of project and does clothes and stuff. The session that we shot is the ender section for his Fun Boys Second Son of Love movie set to Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. HBO is about to change this kid's life. This kid is named Tony Loreno. He is from Praia Grande, Portugal, and he is going to be heavily featured in HBO's 100 Foot Wave Season 2, the first episode of which drops on Sunday. And then I think they go every week after that. Tony is an interesting fella in that he began to tow Nazare at the age of 12. Um... I wasn't sure that that was legal. <laughs> I I guess I'm not familiar enough with the laws in this in this nation or in the European Union if they have any stance on that. But um, towing Naz at 12, that's quite an interesting life. And I guess it's something that HBO said, huh, well, let's see what's going on here. Mikey, what do you think of this? Well, I'd never heard of Tony before, but... I love learning about him. Um, he seems like a really good down-to-earth kid. Like you said, he comes from just like a local family who's been there for a long time. His dad grew up surfing in that zone. Um, his mom runs a surf shop, which is amazing just right there. So they're just really like embedded in that community. And the fact that this all started with him sneaking off under his mom's eye, like basically him and his dad sneaking off to go surf Nazare without their mom knowing and then her finding out because he ended up in a newspaper for doing it because he was <laughs> such a young kid. Um, I think that's a beautiful origin story. I think it's really cool that HBO sort of picked up on that because, you know, these stories of like, it's, it's not the same as somebody who, you know, grows up somewhere like, say, even Hawaii where you're just so exposed to that like surfing culture and world from such a young age and it's such a big part. Like the surf industry comes in and out of there every single year it's just it's just different in portugal like right now obviously that's the case with nazare but it, it wasn't i'm sure when tony was young and just to see it all blossom and now he's right in the center of it i think it only makes sense to make a big part of that hundred foot wave story around him so kudos to hbo mm. for picking up on that yeah yeah interesting little storyline you've you've detected there mikey it is like nazare is a town where there's a deep past in fishing and as a result like a, when you have centuries and centuries of people doing that not for fun but to eat to live um a lot of people died you know it's just inevitable especially if you go back a few hundred years with the boats that they're using like people died yeah and no forecasting and no forecast they did not have magic seaweed <laughs> um surfline i don't know if that's their fault but it might be <laughs> um they didn't give them the colors but yeah, it is like, it is, obviously you said it's changed now, but I think it is a place that is more in touch with like, there are, I think, places, Nazare being one of them, where if you go back not too far, another decade or two, 
surfing was quite criticized because it was like, hey, you should have more respect for this this thing that people that kills people that just needed to eat. You know, they weren't mm. fishing for fun. Um, and so, yeah, it is a little bit of a, it's different now, but there is like, in, in compared to other places in the surf world, it has that going on. It makes it unique, I think. Did the locals, I mean, I guess it would be almost impossible for you to know this, but did the locals think that Nazare was like normal? Like they were like, oh yeah, this is just what the ocean does. <laughs> like <laughs> sometimes it's just like 80 foot, like every other week. I mean, I think, if you talk, if you're thinking about like the people a hundred years ago, I, they had no other context, you know. So I guess they would have just assumed it's normal. And then beyond that, we have another story coming. We've kind of just been sitting on some Nazare stuff, just waiting for HBO to hopefully just leech off of uh, people searching it a lot. <laughs> so shout out to the boys. <laughs> but we have another story that breaks down the the early days at Nazare. Like a uh, spoiler alert on that one. Garrett McNamara was not the first person to fucking surf that thing. No, I there, I will not, Buck. I will not let this happen. Yeah, yeah. It um, it breaks down that whole story in detail, which I think will paint a much clearer picture of the place for you and our audience, Mikey. But yeah, spoiler alert: on that wasn't G Mac that uh you know invented. G Mac did not invent surfing. That's uh, uh, I'm here to tell next you. Next, you're going to try to tell me Santa's not real. I know it's it's a very hard thing. It's hard words just fall out of my mouth here. But that thing's coming. The Tony one's here. Hundred foot wave, season two. Maybe it'll be good. I wasn't a huge fan of the first one. Uh, this one, I know they went to they bounced around quite a bit. They didn't just stick to Naz. They went to France. They went to Cortez. I think they spent some time in Madeira. So did you see that Cortez wasn't on the episode list though? Did you notice that? Really? Yeah, we got a breakdown of each episode and like the location and whatnot, and Cortez was not one of the notes that they hit. If they're either, I can they be shooting a season three already? Like I, I don't see how they wouldn't. It seems like at least in the past winter that was the most significant thing that happened, and besides the Eddie, but like the most exciting thing, and the you know there's a swell Jaws, but like Nazare this year has just done fuck all um so it's yeah a- and we heard how much they spent too to get out there so you'd think yeah i would imagine if it's not if somehow maybe the the season two thing that i read wasn't complete or maybe there's they just embedded it in another episode that i didn't really see or maybe it's going to season three mm. but as far as i saw it wasn't coming well i guess we'll see for now good luck tony i one thing i want to call out here too that i love is that like with this with hbo telling this story we called out before, like, the French photographer, Laurent Peugeot, who, the guy who was doing the behind the, you know, catching away behind a surfer and getting those crazy angles of tube shots. Um, he won an Emmy for his work on it. And, like, when that happened, they flew him to L.A. and put him up in a nice place and sushi, the whole nine, right? And it seems like they've given Tony some of that, too. And I think it's just so cool, like, you think about this 12-year-old whipping a Naz, and now I think he's right around 18 19 now but it's just like i think it's sick to see somebody like that it's all hbo's fault i think that that kid's going to hollywood and like going to premieres and like what a cool experience and that's awesome so tony's gonna get laid tony congrats on the sex stab edit of the year lucas godfrey sheds his skin and shares the secrets to surfing pipeline in rep thrillions Okay, good edit, good edit, and we'll get to that. But it's true. He really did share the secrets to Surfing Pipeline. I fucking love this interview. It was 
Amazing. I don't know. Like, so Lucas Godfrey is probably someone who everyone's seen, even if they don't know that they have seen him. But every year he gets some of the best waves, specifically at Off the Wall and Backdoor, like just psycho, psycho, those really long, thick, scary ones that most people don't even want to look at because it basically looks like a closeout. But if you just have that freaking eagle eye, you can spot them and go for it. Um, But he's also never, ever been like a big name in the surfing industry he's never had like a high paying sponsor or anything like that but he's just he's always around he's always getting really good waves and having surfed with lucas a decent amount or been in the water around him at least like he also he is like an intense persona in the lineup like he is not one to just sort of like sit there and wait for his wave he's like going to whatever little nook and cranny he thinks he can find to get his wave and get it and from all i've seen he seems to like get away with that at off the wall especially um he's been a local in the north shore his whole life so obviously that plays into it but like he seems to have this place dialed to a point where he knows where the good waves are going to come he knows how to sit there and he knows how to navigate the lineup in like a social sense as well which is pretty special and those three things combined along with obviously a lot of surfing talent equate to you getting the best waves every winter yeah and um that's where the edit comes in there are some psychotic waves in here can we let's let's hear it. let's play his secret to serving pipeline because the people need to hear this pipeline i think the one thing i've heard a lot about it is that it's not really crowded enough like i think there's some frustration from the locals there <laughs> that like they wish that there's because everybody likes surfing with people it like enhances the energy and it's like makes it more fun so i think they my understanding is that they want more people out there and just like if you're not that good it doesn't matter like it's all just about friendship and community so let's hear his tips <laughs> My approach to pipe, um, probably just looking for the big right. <laughs> sometimes they're hard to find though. Sometimes they're they're non-existent. But um, I think I think you know it. You just have to try to get in your zone, and you gotta look for the waves that you want, and you gotta <clears throat> sit in the right place. And you know, obviously, you know, putting in your time and being a local like will help you get those waves. But you know, at the end of the day, like whoever has like the utmost positioning, you know, they're going to be in the spot. And, you know, if you, you know, like if you're really in the spot and, you know, you got the chip and you're getting into that wave, like, you know, it's like, there's almost, there's almost nothing anyone can do, you know, but, but, you know, yeah, I, I, I do think, you know, there's a lot of benefits to, you know, growing up around here and, you know, I've, I've put, you know, in an insane amount of time and, you know, countless, countless injuries and, you know, broken boards and money invested into surfing that wave. So, you know, I feel like you learn a lot from that. And then you also like gain a lot of respect from doing that. And, you know, that will definitely like help you in the future. Cause people will be like, Oh yep, Like, you know, he's going, you know, like he deserves this wave. Like, you know, like we'll, we'll let him have it, you know? So I feel like, yeah. And you know, it's, you know, it's, it's sick too, because there's so many, it's like, it's not just like, it's not like other waves in the world where it's like, you know, like, you know, like there'll only be a few guys out there who are like really going for the big ones and, you know, or have like an insane skill set. There's like, you know, there's like 40 guys out there that are like insane surfers and they're all charging. So, you know, it's, it's a little different, you know, you're up against the best in the world and they, they all know how to read waves really good. They all surf really good. And, you know, sometimes it can, it almost feels impossible. You're like, well, I'm out here with 40 of the boys and they all rip and charge and they're not, not they don't hesitate, you know? So it's, but it's sick, you know, it's like, it's like at least we're all out there doing what we love and it's almost like it's like a community of just sending it. <laughs> all right, almost surfs in time, but let's talk about what's coming up. 
we have a Billy Wilson story. If you don't know Billy, he is uh, an incredible human being who arguably applies too much intellect to surf riding. <laughs> it's just uh, he's a very smart fella. And when he decides to go in on surfing, which he has done here in regard to some stuff that the WSL is doing, wow, it's good. So that's dropping this weekend. I think I'll have some title that factors in time management or something. Um, we have this kind of started as an update on the whereabouts of JP, the the surfer who punched a woman, or just assaulted a woman in Bali recently. Started looking for some updates around him and it kind of ended up into becoming this story about like localism in Bali. So it's, uh, Mikey, I understand this is going to be a feel good one. I tried to talk to Ethan a bit about it, but I haven't heard back. I think he's on his weekend right now, but I'm looking forward to that. We have got more best surfing I've ever seen coming up. Stab in the dark. That's creeping up, right? We got another month. Sure is May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Episode one. Wow, May 4th be with you, episode 1. We'll have WA coverage, and very soon we will be in that special time of the year where we have our favorite event series, which is the Challenger Series. So a lot going on. That's right. Now it's time for a surf sim. All right, all right, all right. This, it's not enough to be a theme, but every now and then we've had a few dogs meander into surf sins. Mikey, you were involved in a dog-related surf sin. That's true. Shout out 4 Mile Kyle. Yeah, shout out 4 Mile Kyle. Great sin. This is another excellent sin. I mean, I, I really, I love the dog ones. Maybe it is because I have a dog and he's still new and he fucks up a lot. But um, this one is really deep. It's a long one and we encourage people to be as short as possible. It's better for everybody that way, but this one warrants the the time he spent on it so let's hear it morning lads from cape town south africa a pretty sunny beautiful day pretty small here today but a couple of people out it's more like the mediterranean than cape town today but a few people out there anyways um, as you can probably hear i'm not originally from here i'm from the uk i'm here with florence the dog this morning who's part of this story Flo. hi um, and moved here uh, about 15 years ago for obvious reasons. Um, pretty spectacular place, wave rich, good people. Yes, South Africans had its challenges in the past and and now, but I, I think and hope we're heading in the right direction. But um, every year we uh, we make the trip up to J Bay a few times a year at least. And we always make sure to head up for the comp. And uh, in 2017, we were there um, with Florence when she was just a little puppy. And um, like all puppies, she's just frothing out on the beach, saying hello to everyone, having the best time, stealing snacks and just general puppy nonsense. And um, we're walking up between heat towards the the keyhole from Supers and uh, who comes walking past us but the goat himself, Kelly Slater. And... Like all good people, Kelly's a dog lover. And uh, he, uh, he, Florence sort of runs up towards him and he bends down to give her a stroke and she just turns her back on him and just gives him the miss completely. And um, as she did it, I was like, oh no, Florence, you just gave Kelly the bad juju. Why'd you give him a miss, man? Literally the only person she hadn't frothed out to see all day. And Kelly loves dogs. 
And um, so he looked up after I'd said that and kind of looked at me, giggled, gave me a shrug. But I could see the pain in the eyes, lads. Um, and then I watched him paddle out at Boneyards. And um, in 2017, I think we all know what happened, that fateful surf. Um, so I don't know. Did Florence and I pass on the bad juju? The jilted puppy juju? Um, and if so, I'd like to hear your thoughts. And if there's a penance due, bring it on. Oh. Wow, it's, you know where it's going, you just didn't know it's going to get to that level, is my, is my take. Oh like, my you're like, God. okay, it's Slater and the dog, and like, I get it, and then you're like, oh, that's fucking brutal. Yeah, it's, it really, and the fact that his dog is named Florence, like, there's just so many layers yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it, <laughs> I was kind of surprised that there wasn't too much interaction on Instagram with this, especially because Slater got involved last week. It's like, come on, people. I, this was a brilliant sin, I thought. Anyway, Wes Weber had my favorite penance. It's it's hard to achieve, but it's it's brilliant. You have to get another dog, name it Slater, and introduce it to JJF this year at J-Bay. If he gets hurt there, you have to acquire another dog, name it after another world champ, and introduce it to their rival. Only way to break the curse is if the surfer you introduce the dog to doesn't get injured. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a good play. I think I'm of the belief that the more dogs, the better. I think that's just a good, a good rule. So, I like it a lot. I understand that that's not a realistic solution for everybody. Some people just can't get another dog that because somebody on the internet told them that it would break a curse. But I really like that sin. What do you got? Or I really like that penance. Sorry, Mikey. What do you got? No, no, you go first. On mine. Okay. Okay. Like I said, I really like that penance. If he's in a position to take on another dog, I, yeah, I'm not sure mine's that good, honestly. But my penance is just we need to be more aware of risks. I think like you should try to rule of thumb, eliminate any preheat interaction with any pro surfer. Any day of competition, just try because you don't want to be you. You could just be walking with your dog one day, and the next thing you know. You may have has Slater really come back from that foot injury ever. I don't. I think you can make a point that he hasn't. So you're down on the beach, great day with the dog, and the next thing you know, you broke Slater's foot and ruined his career. We don't want that. Okay, so we want to focus on being invisible preheat, and then if you want the interaction postseat. So my penance is simple: go back to J Bay this year, which sounds like he always does, and you need to shake somebody's hand after they want to heat but win the handshake, okay? Grip that hand, hold it until they pull away, look them in the eye. It's that simple. Just make sure that they have to get that hand out of there. That's all. That's all. Okay, all right. So your penance essentially... I mean, what's the penance though? Because... Would you really want to... Would you really want to make Ethan Ewing wince a little bit because he's pulling your hand away? Like... You're just like awkwardly kind of shrugged because you've just held his hand shaking it for five seconds. I wouldn't want that. I think that it's just the whole idea is just get it to the other side. Let's just focus on post-seed interactions and, um, I don't know, shake a hand. Okay. 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 So mine is more aligned with like kind of righting the wrong 
in a sense. I mean, you can't undo the foot injury, obviously, that ruined Kelly Slater's life and yada yada. But yeah. you can help present-day Kelly Slater at least a little bit, right? So Kelly, as we know, he's not been having the best season on tour. We know he really wants to because he wants to make the Chopo Olympics, etc., etc. We've yet to see if he's going to make the cut. We really hope that he does at Margie's. But if not, we have a strong suspicion that he's going to get wild cards into the back half of the tour. So especially if the waves are good, I think we'll definitely see him at J-Bay. It's one of his favorite um, spots on tour. Obviously, the wave quality is so high. He's had such great memories there from, you know, that victory over Andy and and all the others. Um, So I really think that Kelly needs, if you will, a leg up nowadays because of just how Mm. high the talent level is on tour. So he hasn't been wearing red a lot lately because he just hasn't been doing that well. So I think it would be safe to assume that when he gets to J-Bay, he won't be wearing the red jersey. The red jersey is generally reserved for the highest rated surfer, the best surfer in that heat, if you will. So what I want you to do is between now and I believe it's July when J-Bay runs, so you've got a few months, a good few months, enough certainly to train a dog. I want you to train your dog to just kind of fuck with things that are in red a little bit. And I know that dogs are supposedly colorblind, but... I'm sure that there's like a there's a shade or something of red that you can still get your dog to to connect with this sort of uh, behavior of just like fucking with. And what I mean by that is I don't want it to like attack a person, but you know if it kind of like walks in front of him to like trip him a little bit or like pulls on his leash or something like that, just something to get in the head of the red surfer so that we can see Kelly basically achieve his fate of making the U.S. Olympic team and winning that Olympic gold. And I think that this is probably the best way to get there at this point. Wow, that's pretty good. Although I had to, it's small, but immediately what came to mind is like, oh, what color is the Florence Marine X flag? It's red. And I was like, this is a rabbit hole kind of, or just tangent. But like, I feel, I feel like, I feel like Kelly, if he wants to win, especially imagine he has a heat against John John and he just shows up. If he finds a way to get a Florence Marine X suit without telling John John, that's how he beats him. I think, I think we need to up the mind games. Take it to the next level. Now that all these surfers have brands, just wear their shit without telling them. Just get in their fucking head. Um, <laughs> that's just a, a suggestion to Kelly, which um, unsolicited pro surfer advice I think is a great idea in general. Um, but that's not a penance. Mine is still the handshake. But anyway, you're, you got a selection there. You got a little buffet. So uh, good luck. Good luck. Um, yeah, and we look forward to watching the webcast at J-Bay. Hopefully we get some sort of another Jeremy Flores moment. Let's do it. And reminders, submit your surf sins video. Come on, you have Kelly, You get to go on the internet and then everybody makes fun of you. It's great. It's something that you need to cleanse yourself. How about in the next, if you submit a good one before the next episode, we'll try to give you something. I will send you something. Unless you live in some dumb place and then you don't get anything because <laughs> shipping sucks. That's not my fault. Blame the shipping companies, okay? If you live in the U.S., Australia, or Europe, we'll get you something. Um, if you live elsewhere, sorry. It's the shipping company's fault. Don't blame me. And keep it under 60 seconds, please. Please. And namaste. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. We'll be back next Friday, of course, with all the week's surf news. And until then, over and out.